And a, a big thank you for joining us. As you're aware, we're here to talk about the future of food, um, the, animal, the meat alternatives that are out there, plant-based products, whether it be soybean, enzymes, texturing, or vegetable seeds. Myself and my colleague Ben are gonna be talking to you about areas of risk evolution, um, risk transfer, and risk mitigation. Um, my colleague Ben uh, joined us last year from a global insurance broker. Um, and he is one of five of us on the team. Myself, I've actually, in my 27th year now in insurance, I established the CFD product recall offering um, six years ago. Um, and our focus is on global SMEs and mid-sized companies, um, whether it be product recall for food and beverage manufacturers, automotive componentry, or consumer products. Um, and we've seen some real change over the last um, year and a half, two years, taking aside the plant-based products. You know, we're talking about an environment that we've dealt with Brexit, we've gone through COVID, um, and the financial implications now facing businesses where we're seeing a lot of merger and acquisition activity. Um, we're also seeing increased energy costs and other reasonings behind our clients actually um, non-renewing. So it's, it's a real critical time to be looking at protecting cash flow and mitigating against future risk, which is why we thank you for joining us today. Lovely. So a few of the um, takeaways we're hoping to get from the webinar, um, looking at the the actual size of the marketplace, um, a little bit on horizon planning, uh, identifying areas of increased risk for the sector, um, and assessing both risk mitigation and risk transfer. So looking at the size of the market, we know that the percentage of um, vegetarians in the world is estimated at 22%. We all realise that the global vegan food market is expected to reach you know, greater than 20 billion by 2025. And what this basically means is ultimately it's an opportunity that can't be missed, but with it unfortunately comes um, that increased risk that we spoke about and that we're going to look to cover off. Um, UK retail sales of vegetarian food and drink products, plant-based alternatives combined came to 1.5 billion in 2020, nearly doubling from those figures in 2017. And one in food, four food products launched in the UK in 2019 were labelled vegan. You know, if people aren't currently vegan or vegetarian, we know that more and more people are looking into it for a multitude of different reasons. Um, we're going to actually look at aiming to assess, investigate and mitigate and master the current risks of a plant-based product. So ultimately when? When is this happening? Well, it's now. Um, global appetites, as I mentioned, are evolving. The UN Environment Programme is looking to change dietary plans to reduce food demand and encourage more plant-based diets. We're seeing the EU's farm-to-fork strategy further drive that plant-based product. Um, there are 27 actions to transform the EU system by 2030, with both Denmark and France following suit in announcing support of new tech and enhanced use of vegetable protein. Now with this obviously comes a lot of financial risk for business. Um, there's a lot of money that needs to be invested into research and development, into new technology, as well as producing new products. And from a product recall perspective, a lot of the new products that come to market that we see can obviously increase risk when it comes to errors in production and manufacture. 
consumer, this is a very consumer driven market. So obviously every company that enters into this space is going to have a certain element of its brand at risk, um, its reputation at risk. So it's important um, that that is actually analyzed and assessed when looking at risk transfer, which Ben is gonna cover later. If it does get out into the marketplace that there is a negative connotation around certain plant produced products, it can be very tricky and challenging financially for companies going forward. Labeling is a huge area and issue for all product recalls and it will only further be complicated by the plant-based market. The anaphylaxis campaign states that there's no point in arguing that people will be well informed enough about cross-contamination issues to be suspicious of vegan products. You know, not all people that have nut allergies or food allergies are going to have that degree of understanding to know that a vegan product won't necessarily contain a small element of cross-contamination. As we know, it can be airborne allergies and that in itself will be an issue for manufacturers going forward. The FSA in addition has also said that you can't rely on a vegan logo if you've got a milk, fish, crustacean, mollusk or egg food allergy. You know, trace amounts can trigger reactions and this is going to be an issue in labelling going forward. Allergens themselves are an issue for all product-based um, recalls um, and we, we need to further contain this. With Natasha's law and other developments around this area, you know, it's a real area of exposure for manufacturers. Not only that, pea proteins, a lot of those that are utilised in burger replacements, um, can actually mimic in a very similar to a standard peanut protein allergy. So there is potential for there to be increased allergic reaction from certain plant-based products as well. Yeah, so thanks for that, Nat. I'll take over now. So I joined the insurance industry after graduating from university seven years ago, and I've worked across claims broking and now in underwriting in that time. So I've had quite a well-rounded education in the insurance industry today, and I'm just going to talk through some risk transfer considerations and a little bit about what we do here at CFC within the recall space. So when we're talking about risk transfer, we need to think about who's in the chain and the exposures that require a risk transfer solution. Now, the first and most obvious is suppliers. Uh, given how vast supply chains are, this is a huge exposure faced by food manufacturers. So whether that be vegan or vegetarian food manufacturers, meat manufacturers, um, you know, it's, it's felt across the industry. And what we like to say when presented to our brokers is that a product is only as good as its worst ingredient. And we find suppliers are quite often at fault for product recall events, but they may dispute this or they may not be in a financial position to cover the full cost of a recall event. So we would never recommend relying on suppliers to fully indemnify you. Now there's also contract manufacturers, designers, tech providers, storage locations and distributors all of which bring an element of risk to the production process. And this element of risk can be transferred to insurers like us by way of a product recall policy. And when we're thinking about contractual requirements, most major retailers in the UK now require their suppliers to have comprehensive product recall insurance, which not only covers the retailer's recall costs, such as advertising campaigns to raise public awareness, overtime costs to initiate the recall, transportation costs to return the products to, to name a few, but also to cover the retailers loss of profit, which you know can be a hefty check um, if there's been a national recall campaign. 
just before this webinar, I just got off the phone to a broker whose client um, has just won a new contract with M&S. And within that contract, there's a requirement to have 10 million pounds worth of recall cover. Uh, that's higher than we've seen in the past, but goes to show that, um, you know, the need for the recall cover is there and is being pressured by retailers in the UK. So when we're talking about product recall insurance, um, there's a number of triggers uh, within the policy. I won't run through every trigger in great detail, but essentially there's six traditional triggers included in a contamination product recall policy. The first section of which, if, if you like, is around unintentional errors in the production process, which lead to the product becoming injurious to health or likely to cause product property damage. So this could be a pathogen or foreign body contamination, an allergen mislabeling error, which was spoken about, or that a supply contaminated ingredient has been incorporated into your product, making it harmful to health. Now, the second part of the policy is the crisis management part of the policy. So this is where the policy will respond to a malicious product tamper or cyber malicious product tamper, which can often be carried out by a disgruntled employee or even a product extortion event where a monetary demand is made on your company, which would result in your product causing bodily injury or property damage. Finally, there's the government action trigger, which responds when there's been an enforced product recall by a government agency, such as the Food Standards Agency. And then we've got the negative publicity, which responds where there's allegations made through media platforms, social media, newspapers that a product could cause bodily injury. Now we know with the presence of social media how quickly things can spread online and it you know can cause considerable brand damage to your brand and these allegations may even be unfounded. Uh, so what is the importance of recall insurance? So product liability cover doesn't cover your costs. Why so why is indemnifying you as a first party important? Well Name all the elements of the business you protect with insurance, the building, the people, the directors, your third party liability, but potentially not the very product that generates your business income. So there are those that think product liability covers, covers recall costs. Well, this is unlikely, but if it does, it's on a small sublimited basis. So looking at all the traditional triggers, which I've just spoken about, what stood out for us at CFC is a need for triggers that are not just bodily injury focus, but rather respond to insurance events whereby an animal byproduct ends up in a vegan or vegetarian product, or where there's been an adulteration of a supplied ingredient for a financial gain. So an issue highlighted by the horse meat scandal across Europe and one that's well documented. And I did a bit of research into this and it's thought that the food fraud is an issue which costs the UK an estimated 1.2 billion pounds a year. So it's certainly an exposure you should be considering um, protecting your business against by way of insurance. Um, we've got a question here from Amy. Um, thanks to Amy um, uh, for joining us and Peter from Specialist Risk Group. Um, Amy's commented, and you'll probably cover this off, but what, what about non-safety recalls? So I, I think what Ben was just attesting to there is, you know, traditionally most product recall insurance will require that there is a bodily injury trigger, um, which ultimately means that the product has to be injured to health. And where we've kind of come to market, we want to address like emerging exposures, as Ben mentioned, whether it be, you know, um, product tamper for financial gain from your supply chain or whether it be um, uh, 
meat appearing in, in plant-based foods. You know, this is a non-bodily injury, a non-safety recall type trigger. And it is where the insurance market is evolving and emerging from what are changes in exposure for um, risk managers within the food and beverage manufacturing piece. So it's really important when you're talking to your insurance broker about addressing this type of exposure is, you know, go to these specialist brokers and, and ensure that they're actually asking the right questions for you. If you're in the business of, you know, manufacturing plant-based products, then, then make sure you've got something that addresses that. If you're in the business of actually, um, as Ben mentioned, utilizing contract manufacturers or um, supply chain, you know, ensure that, that both of those are addressed by your policy as well. It's amazing how much, um, how, how much of variance there can be in different insurance policy types. So Nat's just sort of rounded this off quite nicely. Um, but yeah, great question. So about soundly, sounding overly sales pitches, this wasn't the intention of the webinar, but not all insurances are equal. And, you know, we would encourage you to speak to your insurance broker. Like Nat said, speak to a specialist insurance broker and ensure your insurance cover matches your risk. Um, so as we've just spoken about bespoke coverage, we've got the vegan and vegetarian endorsements, we've got the uh, product number for financial gain endorsements. Every every food manufacturer must have you know complex supply chains which are vulnerable to food fraud. So you know you should be considering purchasing a trigger to cover this. Uh, and if you are looking to purchase recall cover for the first time, be ready to demonstrate your business continuity planning and quality assurance standards. Don't rely on the balance sheets of others to indemnify you. Ideally, get named on their insurances. If your business changes mid-term, does your insurance follow suit? Mergers and acquisitions, as we said, is you know exploding in the UK. Have you got new product lines? Have you won new contracts? These are all areas of risk which should be considered when building your insurance program. And again, you know, we just encourage you to engage your specialists and brokers, invite conversation about industry change and development and find out what risk transfer solutions are out there in the market to help protect your business and your balance sheet. So, yeah, hopefully there are some useful takeaways. And with that, I'll hand back over to Nat to sort of wrap up. So we've, we've covered off quite a lot. Uh, as we've mentioned, any, any insurance queries, please go to specialist brokers. <laughs> <laughs> um, but any general inquiries, case studies, anything like that, please feel free to go to our website and take a look. You can see the link there. Um, and obviously, there's an affiliates page on the FDF website um, for addressing those recall broker concerns. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh, do we have any comments with regards to changes in the food labeling post pandemic and the potential for alternative? oils to be used in products. So I think, as we mentioned earlier, labelling is always a challenge within our area. It is without a doubt, um, allergen exposure is without a doubt the, the largest, I, I would say, reason behind recalls across our portfolio. So it's the real driver of product recalls um, from a claims perspective. And I can only see that further intensifying with the introduction of um, allergen laws, um, with the introduction of greater regulatory involvement. And I think this also stems from a, an issue that Ben covered earlier. You know, you're only as good as the, the worst ingredient in your product. 
And what, with supply chains the way that they are at the moment, with the issues, the economic issues that are actually um, compressing supply chains and actually further complicating supply chains, there is a much greater risk of food fraud. There is a much greater risk for people using alternative oils, claiming that something is is what it's not. You know, we've seen what's going on in the moment from you know, from a war perspective and, and what impact that has on rapeseed. You know, there's so many different contributing factors globally to complications in the supply chain. And really, you know, business resilience um, is built through analyzing that supply chain, strengthening that supply chain. And as Ben mentioned, you know, this isn't a standing situation. You know, risk transfer, risk mitigation shouldn't just be something you do once a year. It's something that's inherent in your business. And it should be built into every change in business decision that you make. So whether it be that you acquire a company, a new product line, However it may be, at every stage it should be addressed. So yeah, thanks Peter. The value of having access to a crisis management team is a very valuable part of this type of policy, as is recall preparedness. Is that the entire, um, I think that's that's it. Yes, absolutely. So um, a lot of businesses that we uh, help, I guess through a claims um, situation, often haven't experienced a recall before. Um, and that's why it's incredibly important to actually be crisis prepared, to have those working documents at hand, to be recall planning as well as business continuity planning, to understand both your internal and external stakeholders, you know, how will the recall unfold, so to actually practice those with mock recalls as well. And we firmly believe in the value of, of crisis management um, as a function. So it's important for us that, that we provide that as part of access to a recall policy and work with a panel of crisis consultants that are specialists, whether it be from a PR perspective or a security perspective, because the triggers, as Ben referenced earlier, are fairly broad. There's lots of things that can go wrong in the production process, whether it be um, an employee, issue or whether it be a physical contaminant, uh, whether it be negative press surrounding your products or indeed a regulatory authority. And for each of those variables comes, you know, a, a level of experience that crisis management teams can bring because they, they're well versed and they're well practiced. Um, and everything, the more you can do in terms of crisis preparation is the more likely that you are to actually avoid a crisis in the future. So absolutely, Peter. Thank you for your time today and have a good day.